pleasure to be here with you today again. I've been traveling quite a bit recently. I had the opportunity to be back in the adventure camp in Wyoming for uh, about, I guess it was eight or ten days that I was there looking at an area both for Feastside as well as the adventure camp. And a real privilege to be able to go on those camps because uh, they offer an opportunity for our young people to really experience something that they probably never would be able to otherwise. I know a number of you here have been in those camps before, and I've had some of you in my groups before. This is the fifth year that I've been able to go and be a part of them. And it's really a wonderful thing to be able to see the young people as they go on these camps and experience the things that they go through. And as as I said, for many of them, the first time they've ever even been camping, much less backpacking in the wilderness as we do. And uh, a lot of lessons that can be learned from that. This year we hiked in the Grand Teton National Forest uh, just above Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is an absolutely gorgeous area. And if you want to look at some pictures of it, they're on the Facebook page. You're welcome to go see a lot of the pictures of different ones of us that took them on the trip. And you just see the beautiful creation that God put there. But doing these trips is a very strenuous ordeal for many people, for all of us. And the older I get, I'm no longer in my 20s anymore. And uh, and all this, the harder it seems to get for me, I think this year was probably not just because of my quote-unquote age, but uh, probably the most strenuous hike in terms of the hike that we did, going almost 50 miles total that we walked during the entire trip, going up and down from elevations at a low end of about 8,000 feet and up over 10,600 feet in one pass that we went over called Hurricane Pass and uh, up and down all day long as we hiked. Our first day we headed out of Teton Village and took the easy way up to the top of the mountain. It's about 6,300 feet at the bottom. We were able to take the gondola. They've got a big tram that takes you all the way up to the top of this, of this uh, mountain there right in front of it, up over 10,000 feet high. And so uh, we started our hike from that point and then worked our way along the Teton Crest Trail. But the second day, we got up in the morning, our group, we had camped out along near a little river, uh, down in a little canyon, Fox Creek is the area called, and uh, had breakfast, and, and have, as we do every morning with the campers, I did a Bible study, and the Bible study was entitled, We Can Make It, and uh, the Bible study talking about going through and having perseverance, enduring, having faith, and having courage. But uh, little, little did the group know that that day all of those things would be required for them to get through it because it was a very tough day. We started up out of Fox Creek and headed up to uh, join back onto the Teton Crest Trail, which we had hiked off of the evening before. And as we began the hike along what is called Death Canyon Shelf, suddenly the weather began to change. And the rain began to fall, and I had my group get their rain gear on. We tell them all to bring rain gear, and uh, they do more or less, but some of them think that a nice jacket from the Gap is rain gear, and it really doesn't work out well for them, they found, because it's not really rainproof. But uh, we gear up with our rain gear on and and said, okay, we'll we'll head out. Usually these rain showers kind of pass within an hour or so, and they they, uh, move on, and we get some clear weather. Today was to be a different day. The rain began to fall, the temperatures began to drop, and the wind began to blow. And we trudged on and on along the Death Canyon shelf. 
And the group began to grow weary and tired. Some of them wanted to stop. And I said, no, that's a really bad idea. Because as soon as we stop and stop moving, you're going to get even colder. We've got to keep moving. We'll take brief stops to get a quick snack, to get a drink of water. But we've got to keep moving as long as the weather stays like this. Because I don't want any of you to get hypothermia. I want to make sure that we get home with all of you intact, alive, and well. And so we've trudged on through this Death Canyon shelf, hour after hour, slogging through the rain, the wind, and as it rained more, the trail became very, very muddy, slogging through these mud trails that were very difficult to get through, and sometimes going up hills, you're slipping and sliding through the mud just to try to get up. Earlier in the day, I had read Romans chapter 5, verse, verses 1 to 4 through the group. Turn there. This is a scripture that I think kind of came to life as we hiked down that trail that day, slogging through the mud and the rain and the wind. Romans chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access to faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yes, we had some hope that day. We had the hope that the God's glorious wisdom and kindness and mercy would give us a respite from what we were going through. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Yes, we had hope. We had hope that the rain would stop falling, the wind would stop blowing. We had tribulation, if you will, as we slogged through this difficult day. It reminded me of the day that we hiked in the Rocky Mountain National Park about five years ago, I believe it was, going over 12,000-foot mountaintop called Flat Top Mountain. And as we got to the top of that mountain, it began to rain. And the rain turned to sleet. And the sleet turned to snow. And the wind began to blow. This wasn't quite as cold that day, but that day it didn't last nearly as long either. We were across the top of that mountain in about less than an hour, and then we got out of it. And they were quite grateful to get out of it, I can assure you. But we had to go through, say, tribulation. It was difficult. It was hard to get through that. We had to, to persevere. We had to keep moving. As I said, we couldn't quit. I told the group, no, we can't stop. At one point, we actually caught up with one of the other groups that had stopped for a rain break, and we saw a bunch of these kids huddled back under a little stand of trees, and some of the others were over there by a little water area pumping, filtering water for their drinking water. But I had made sure our group had plenty of drinking water so we wouldn't have to stop, and we were all fine water-wise. And I said, you can say, say hi for a couple of minutes, but then we're going to keep moving. If they want to stay here, they're welcome to, but I want us to keep moving and get down the trail. And so we persevered and moved on through that. Perseverance is something that is a part of life in many aspects. As we hiked on this trip, Throughout this trip, even the day before, we had gone through some rain and difficult times, but not nearly as difficult as this day. If we think about the word persevere, the dictionary says it's to persist in anything undertaken, to persist, to not give up. 
It says to maintain a purpose in spite of difficulty, obstacles, or discouragement. To continue steadfastly. And we had to continue on through the obstacles and the difficulties that day. Because there was no option in stopping. It wasn't going to do us any good to stop. We had to keep moving forward. Revelation 3 and verse 10. God writes to the church of Philadelphia. And he says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the world, who dwell on the earth. There is a time ahead of us coming when the whole world is going to be tested and tried severely. There are some terrible times ahead, as he calls it, the hour of trial The great tribulation is coming. But if we want to be able to avoid that great tribulation, if we don't want to have to go through that trial, and we want to be true Philadelphians, Jesus Christ says we will have kept his command to persevere. We are commanded to persevere, to push through when the going gets tough, to not give up, to not quit, but to keep on moving. The Greek word that's used here for persevere is hupomone, and it says cheerful, endurance, constancy, and it's translated as enduring or patience or patient continuance. Patient continuance. We have got to learn to persevere. It's a quality that we all have to have. It's something that has to be a part of us. It isn't something that we put on on the outside. It comes from the inside. It's what keeps us going in life, no matter what happens to us. And God wants us, and as as Christ says, commands us to persevere. If we're going to make it into God's kingdom, we are going to have to persevere to conquer. And that's the title of my sermon today. Persevere to conquer. We have... Mountains to climb, mountains to conquer in our lives, spiritually and physically. And God is testing us to see, are we going to do it? There's many areas of perseverance in our life that we could look at that we need to have. And I can't begin to go through everything today. But what I do want to do is take a little bit of time to look at seven different areas that we should consider And then as you do your own Bible study and you as you think about this sermon, you can begin to add to that list because there are dozens, if not hundreds of other things that you can add to this to persevere. But these are some of the basic things. They're nothing new. They're nothing, you know, some great new doctrine at all. Each of these things that I'm going to go through today is something that you've heard entire sermons on. But I want you to think about them from the perspective of perseverance of what that word means for the purpose of the sermon today let's combine the definitions that i gave you for perseverance just a little while ago and say that perseverance is and you can might want to write this down perseverance is persistent patient cheerful endurance in the face of obstacles personal or i'm sorry persistent patient cheerful endurance in the face of obstacles. As we look back here at Romans 5 and chapter chapter 5, I'm sorry, yeah, Romans chapter 5 and verse 4, it says that persevere 
beginning in verse 3, that it says tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. And that's the first point that I want to put today is that persevere, that we have to persevere to grow in godly character. Persevere to grow in godly character. This godly character is something that we have to have, that we have to develop, or once again, we will not be in God's family. We will not have that invitation. We now have the invitation, but it will be taken away if we don't have godly character, if we don't develop that. As I said, many sermons have been given on this basic topic. Mr. Ames gave number 664, Growing in Godly Character. And you can go back and listen to that sometime. Number 664, growing in godly character. Growing in godly character isn't something that just happens. It doesn't just happen. You don't say, God, give me character, and boom, zap, you've got it. It's not the way it works. It's something that we have to develop. It's something that that God will help us develop. We've got to do it with his help. But it requires our hard work, our perseverance, as it were, to gain that character. In Mr. Armstrong's book, Mystery of the Ages, on page 103, he writes, Man was to improve the physical earth as God gave it to him, finishing its creation, which sinning angels had deliberately refused to do, and in doing so, to restore the government of God with God's way of life, and further, in this very process, Finishing the creation of man by the development of God's holy, righteous character within man's own ascent. Holy, righteous, godly character is God's final creation. That is what God is creating within each and every one of us so that we can be in his family. He is not going to allow us in his family if we don't have that. As I said, we can't do this on our own. We have to have God's help to do it. But we've got to make the effort. We've got to put forth that effort. We can't give up and quit and say, oh, this is just too hard. We've got to be keep slogging down that muddy path as it would be sometimes. Not easy, hard. That's how character is developed. The word that we see translated here in Romans 5.4 as character is Strong's, from Strong's, is the, the Greek word is dokime. And it says that dokime is to test, or concretely by implication, trustiness. And it's translated as experience or proof or trial. This word dokime comes from the same word dokimazo that we read in it's 1 Corinthians 11:28, where it says that a man is to examine himself. Examine is dokimazo. Look at yourself intently, in depth, to prove yourself. Not to, you don't prove yourself to yourself. You have to prove yourself to God. See, God is the one that is proving us to see whether we will do what it takes to love Him, to obey Him. For all of eternity. And he has to be assured of that. And he is proving us. And we've got to examine ourselves. And prove to him. Through our perseverance. What it is that. He is doing with us. And how we are doing it. 
Are we doing it well or are we just kind of doing it? Are we just barely kind of getting through? There's an old expression, the proof is in the pudding. What does that mean? Well, if you look at all, if you look it up, some of the entomologists say that it was actually originated as the proof of the pudding is in the eating. In other words, you can look at something and you can put on a good face. As, they, as we come, sometimes say, people put their Sabbath best on. They put on their Sabbath smile and they show up to church and they're all happy and friendly. But then they go home and they become a different person. They're not living that way of life. It's what's on the inside that counts and that's what God is looking at. We can't fool Him. He knows the thoughts of our heart. He knows our every intent. God won't be mocked. We've got to make sure that we are allowing God to work with us, to prove us, to prove our character day by day, each and every day, everything we do, everything we say, every thought that goes through our mind, God knows, He hears, He understands what we're going through. We go through trials and tests, and it's through those trials and tests that God, in essence, is helping us to develop that holy and righteous character. It's not by the easy things that happen in life that everything is just good. It's by the trials and tests that we have to endure and persevere through. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 tells us, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not strange when you have trials and difficulties. As I went on that hike, it was not strange to me that we were having rain and wind. I have been through it before. This was the worst I've been through in all the hikes I've been on, but I know that it's always possible. And that's why I go up there and I try to be prepared. I try to make sure I've got the right equipment, the right rain gear that I can stay dry and warm, and that I'm not going to get hypothermia, and I'm not going to be a, a burden on others because I didn't do my part. I try to make sure that I'm prepared for that. But yet it doesn't make the trial any easier necessarily as we go through them. If we're prepared and we're looking to God for that strength that we need, then God will help us through that. And But as I said, it's through these trials and tests that we develop this character and have a deeper love and a deeper relationship with God because as we go through them, we look to Him for that help that we need. We ask Him for the help and the guidance that we need to get through the trials. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little time, while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are grieved by trials, but it's through these trials that God helps us to develop that character that we have to have if we are going to be a part of his family. As we persevere to get through the trials that God allows to come upon us, God doesn't send all of these trials upon us. 
by and large, I'm quite good at bringing trials on myself, doing dumb things. And I'm sure most of you are too. You know, if I show up for that hike and I don't have rain gear and say, you know, I checked the weather report on weather.com and it said it was going to be a glorious day. And now it's raining. Well, you weren't prepared. You have a trial to go through to get through that weather but you weren't prepared for it. You didn't look and say, you know what, what's the normal weather patterns? Do they normally get afternoon thunder showers or whatever? And make sure you're prepared for every contingency. Do you just take barely enough food and water to get by and say, well, that's got, that should be plenty? What if something happens and suddenly you don't have enough? You've got to be prepared. We've got to make sure that we are looking to God to help us get through those trials. But as we do our part to bring them on ourselves, realize what is the lesson that God wants me to learn out of this? Oh, I should have brought more water. I should have brought more food. I should have brought really good rain gear. You know, a hefty bag is great if you want to throw that over your, your clothes, and it'll perhaps last a little while, but it isn't really rain gear. It's not going to get you through if things get really tough. So we've got to make sure that we're prepared for the trials to come. And part of that is in being close to God and remembering that we can't get through the trials without him. We've got to have the strength that comes from him. It doesn't come from within. Our strength comes from God through his Holy Spirit, through which he works in our lives. It is by the power of his might, through his Holy Spirit in us, that we can persevere and build the character that's necessary to be a son of God. Romans 5.4 also tells us that character produces hope. Hope. Hope is something that we don't talk about a lot as such, but it's something that we all understand. Mr. McNair talked in this, in this announcements about the hope in regards to one of the men here that died recently. And we have to have that hope. And that hope is important. And the second point that I want to make is that we are to persevere in hope. Persevering in hope is not necessarily something you would think about. What, what do you mean persevere in it? How do you persevere in it? Once again, what did I say perseverance was? Persistent, patient, cheerful, endurance in the face of obstacles. Our hope is something that we have, but how real is it to us? Do you hope that things are going to be okay? Or do you have the hope that God has given you of the future, of his kingdom, of being a part of his family? A lot of people in this world hope for different things, but we have to have a deep hope in the truth, in the knowledge of the truth and understanding what that truth means to us and what it means that we need to be doing in order to be able to obtain that hope. As my campers trudged through the rain, the wind, and the mud, their hope was that God would stop the rain. Their hope was that the sun would come out, I'm sure. And at one point during the hike there, as things started seeming to get degrade and get a little bit worse, we stopped and I asked a prayer and asked that God would give us good weather. 
And they all were grateful for that. And as I talked to the other two groups that were behind me, we had Mr. John Robinson's group and then Mr. Bill Long's group was behind him further back the trail, another half an hour, an hour or whatever. I found out from them that they did exactly the same thing that we did. At a point, they realized they needed to look to God. Their campers were hoping for better weather. They were struggling to get through. Many professing Christians hope that there's a resurrection or they hope that they can go to heaven and they can float around on the clouds and play their little harps and all of that sort of thing. But they really don't know. If you really talk to some of them, if you have any friends or family, they they think, well, yeah, there's a heaven and this and that. But if you really drill down, a lot of them don't necessarily really fully know if they believe that. They hope that. But it isn't a real hope. It isn't a true hope. As we go to funerals, talking to funerals, we had a funeral here, I guess, this last week, and, and all for a member. When we go to a funeral for a church member, it isn't a great grieving affair. Yes, there is sorrow and there are some tears, But it's a totally different experience if you go to a funeral for people that are not in God's church. I've been to a few of them before, to people that I knew outside in the world. And there is much tears and sorrow and wailing and moaning. Why is that? It's because they don't have the hope. They don't understand the hope that we have knowing that there is a God and that He has a plan And that there really is a resurrection. Not knowing if Uncle Bob really is going to make it into heaven or is he going to that other place down there. What's going to happen to him? He really wasn't a very good guy, but he wasn't a terrible guy. So maybe he's kind of in some purgatory or whatever. They don't have a true hope. The the hope that God has revealed to us is very, very different. Here in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read here of a, of a hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, that the genuineness, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to look forward to. The glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And going back to verse 3, I guess I should have started there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. You say, this is a living hope. We live it. We breathe it. It's a part of us. We know it. It isn't we hope that we have the hope. We really know it. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's the hope that we have to have. But do you really have that depth of hope that you should have? This word that's, that's translated as hope is the Greek word elpis, And it says, anticipation with pleasure, expectation, not, I hope it will happen, 
You expect it to happen. You know it's going to happen. Confidence is the other definition. We have confidence that God's Word is the truth and that He tells us this is what is going to happen. Jesus Christ died so that you can live. And we have a place reserved in heaven for us if we will just look to God. Do you really persevere to have that hope? Are you really persistent, patient, patiently awaiting that hope? Patience is something a lot of us don't have enough of. We need a lot more. We need to make sure we look to God for more and more of that hope. We think about those who had hope over in Hebrews chapter 6. In verse 11, we read more of the hope. Hebrews chapter 6. Beginning in verse 11, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Diligence. Perseverance for that hope until the end. Never giving up on that hope. Never thinking it can't happen. Dropping down to verse 18, breaking into the sentence here, it says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. We know God doesn't lie. And so we have strong consolation in what? Who have fled for the refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. That's our anchor. That's what keeps us firm. We don't have to worry about whether we live or whether we die. If God allows me to die today, I don't have to worry about that. I know it's in God's hands because He is my anchor and that hope is there. And I know that even though I'm not perfect, God has been working with me and He has given me His Spirit. And He has guided and led my life. And I have that hope of being a part of His family but I must never lose that hope. I must persevere to keep it strong, to allow it to work in my life, to allow it to guide and lead what I do so that I can attain that hope. Because if I turn aside, that hope is lost. We must not turn aside. The hope that we have should give us cause to sigh and cry for the abominations that we see all around us in this earth. We see so much evil and violence. A world that Satan has totally deceived. Our nation here, the greatest nation on earth at one time, has turned away from God more and more. And it continues to in so many different ways. Does it really upset you when you see what's happening? Does it really upset you to see a nation that you know God has blessed with so many things turn on God and say, phooey on you. I don't need you. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm putting you out of my schools. I'm putting you out of my government. I'm putting you out of my life. I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't want your laws, your commands. I want to do it my way. We live in a nation that's deceived. We live in a world that's deceived and a world that does not have hope.
We need to be praying, Thy kingdom come. Lord Jesus, come quickly. If we have that hope of the future, we should be praying that prayer daily. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And that brings me to my next point, which is point number three. Persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. Prayer isn't something that we should just take lightly. Prayer is something that is vitally important to our lives. And we have got to persevere in it. Think about it. How do you persevere in prayer? When you look at your prayers, how do your prayers stack up to the definitions I gave you of perseverance, persistence, patience, cheerful and endurance in the face of obstacles? Persistent. How are you persistent in prayers? Do you constantly keep going to God over and over, praying and asking for whatever it might be, for help, for blessings, for forgiveness? Or do you just kind of occasionally? We have to be persistent in our prayers. In Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, and I'm not going to take the time to read it because I think most of you know it. It's about the unjust judge. And how this lady just kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. And she wouldn't give up. She wouldn't give up. And that's how we have to be with God. We need to just keep going back to Him and saying, God, I need your help. I need your healing power to be upon me. I claim the promises that you have made. God has made us promises. Have you claimed those promises? Or do you say, well, I know they're there and it may happen, it may not happen. If it happens, that's great. If not, oh well, I'll go on with life. Are you persistent in your prayers? Are you fervent in your prayers? The fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Do you pray for your brethren daily? Do you pray for the sick every day? Asking God that he might send his power And by the stripes of Jesus Christ that they might be healed, naming by name many of those that you know that are struggling and suffering, some dying? Or do you just pray for people once or twice and then you move on? We have to be persistent in our prayers. We have to be patient in our prayers. Because once again, God doesn't always answer right away. Sometimes He answers fairly quickly. Sometimes it may be weeks or months. And sometimes it may be years. And sometimes the answer may be never. No. But that's why we persistently go back. But what, but then we don't just give up and say, okay, well, I prayed for this for the last six weeks. And now I'm giving up. You know, you have to have patience. Allow God to show you. Have patiently, patiently wait on God. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then in Psalm 130 verses 5 and 6, he says, David writes, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. 
You know the sun's going to come up every morning and people out there watch for that sunrise. And he's like, I wait on the Lord more than those who watch in the morning. In other words, it's more important to me that I wait on the Lord and His answers. David went through a lot of trials and tests in his life, didn't he? I mean, you think about it. He was ordained as a young man, maybe about 18 years old. And it was for 12 years before he actually got the actual crown, the kingship. First of all of Judah and then later of all the other tribes. But he waited. And it wasn't just a matter of sitting at home, twiddling his thumbs, waiting. He kept doing. And as we know... He went through a lot of trials and tests as Saul tried to kill him over and over and over again. He had to flee for his life. How many times did it go through his mind? Wait a minute. I was ordained the king of Israel. Why is this happening to me? God, why aren't you delivering me from this? God gave Saul into his hand two times. And he could have brought it all to an end right then. But he realized, no, That's not what God wants me to do. I've got to wait on God and let Him work it out. When it's His time, it will be clear what I need to do. Wait patiently on God. Are you cheerful in your prayers? What do I mean by that? When you pray, do you always just pray about all of your problems and all of the trials and tests and all the problems that your friends are having? And Is everything negative in your prayers? Or are you cheerful? Are you thankful? Think about it. Does God want to talk to somebody all the time that's just all about doom and gloom and woe is me? Do you want to talk to people that are like that? I don't think so. God wants us to come to Him cheerfully. We should be thankful that we can talk to Him, knowing that He hears our prayers. Thanking Him for the blessings and the abundance, for the knowledge and understanding that He's given us, for His Holy Spirit, for His great plan. Cheerfully go before God and pray. It isn't just all negative, all asking for me. Make sure your prayers are cheerful. What about praying when it, as it relates to endurance in the face of obstacles? Do you pray even when it's difficult to pray? Remember what Daniel went through as a decree was passed that if anybody prayed to anyone other than the king, that they would be thrown in the lion's den? And what's the first thing he did? He went and he prayed just as he always had, three times a day. He knew his life was at stake. That doesn't happen to us. There's no laws like that in the land today that that sort of thing can happen. But we're all going to go through different trials and tests, as I said. And we've got to endure in our in, as we face these obstacles and making sure that we're looking to God for the strength and praying to Him for the guidance and help to get through the obstacles. First Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Pray without ceasing, with endurance, with perseverance, no matter what the situation is. Don't be embarrassed to pray. 
If you're in a place where you just can't get away, there's nothing wrong with you sitting in your seat, whether it's on an airplane or a bus or a train or any other public space, closing your eyes and saying a prayer. Pray without ceasing. Acts 6 verse 4 says that we are to give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. Continually pray to God in perseverance. Mr. Ames gave a sermon on November 17th of 2012 entitled Persevere in Prayer. Go back. Listen to that sermon again. Think about it. How do you persevere in prayer? As I said, in this sermon today, I can just hit a few highlights of these things as they relate to perseverance. He's given an entire sermon on that. As I hiked along the Death Canyon shelf in the driving rain, I had plenty of time to persevere in prayer. I brought up the back of my group because I always wanted to make sure I could see where everybody was and how they were doing. And if I saw that somebody was struggling or whatever, I could deal with it. And as I walked down that trail and we all just kind of had our heads down going forward into the wind and the rain, I prayed and I talked to God. I had plenty of time to do that. I understood what that was all about even better. At one point, we came to a fairly steep incline and it was just yucky mud. And one by one, we, we struggled to get up that one section and as I started to get up there, I got about halfway up and one of my foot slipped and I went down and just right down into the mud with pack and all and just laying there in the mud going, what am I doing here? <laughs> what did I get myself into? Should I really be here? I'm way too old for this. <laughs> These other kids are there. Am I nuts? But... I realized, no, I'm here because I want to be here and I can do this. And I was in a really awkward position, but managed to finally get myself up, get myself extricated from the mud and get myself up the trail and keep moving forward. What did I need to do that? What does it take to keep going and to keep doing that even when you're struggling, you're in the mud? You can't seem to get up. Point number four, persevere in courage. Persevere in courage. How courageous are you? Are you courageous enough to put on a 55-pound backpack and go wandering through the wilderness for five days? Well, that isn't necessarily what everybody needs to do to show courage. I understand that. I actually do enjoy it. It can be challenging at times, but I do enjoy it. You know, a couple of years ago, Mr. McNair gave a sermon entitled, Do Hard Things. Number 545, Do Hard Things. And I thought it was an excellent sermon as he talked about not just everything being easy. We have to do hard things. We have to have courage. If we're always looking for the easy way, we aren't going to build courage. You can say there's always an easy way. Yeah, the easy way to do that hike was not to do it. Don't get on the tram in the first place. Just stay there in Teton Village and go back to the hotel and enjoy it. 
But the kids that went on that hike, they had to have courage. As I said, some of the kids in the past have never experienced anything like that. This is a whole new thing for them. There's a little bit of anticipation, a little bit of angst, I think, on on some of their behalves. And I know it. that first day is always, I, I just love to watch the kids the first day. Because for the ones that have never been on this trip before, you see they're experiencing something that probably is a lot more than they really anticipated. They're struggling in a lot of cases because it seems like the first day is always a pretty hard day. And it was this year, again, wasn't quite as hard as the second day. But I know that that night, that first night, I don't have to tell these kids, be in bed by 10 o'clock. Dinner's done, dishes are done, and they're all back in their tents going to bed. And I'm like, okay, that was easy. (laughs) They were beat. They knew what they had ahead of them. There was no turning back. They had to keep going. They had to have the courage to keep going. When we think about life and what we have ahead of us, as we go forward over these next few years, there's a lot of terrible things that are going to come about. When you read Matthew 24 and Luke 21, and Jesus describes the things that are going to happen, it's going to be a terrible time. We are going to have to go through some pretty terrible trials even before hopefully we are able to go to a place of safety. God's going to continue to test us, to test us, and we have got to have the courage to make it through those tests. Because if we don't, we're not going to be in God's family. Revelation 21 tells us in verse 7 and 8 that the cowardly and the unbelieving and the others there are not going to be in God's family. They are no longer going to exist. We can't be cowards. We have to be people of courage. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses, as he was preparing Joshua to take over, as he knew he could not go into the promised land, he told Joshua to be of courage, to have courage. He says, be strong and of good courage. He told Israel that as well. He told the nation, be strong and of good courage. And then after they then went into the promised land there in Joshua chapter 1. I think as an encouragement to Joshua, God personally talked to him and said, be strong and of good courage. And then a second time he said, be strong and very courageous. Very courageous. The trials and tests that we have to get through in life are going to require strength and courage to get through them. Israel was going into the quote-unquote promised land and they didn't know really what they were supposed to do. They just knew that this is what God wants us to do. But God, as we know, delivered them. It takes courage to do the right thing in life. For you to do what's right, it takes courage. You've got to sometimes be able to stand up for the truth. Stand up for what God wants you to do whether it's at work or at school, as you stand up for what's right and true, say, no, I can't, I won't eat that because it's unclean. No, I can't go to the football game because it's on God's Sabbath. I can't go to the dance because it's on the Sabbath. 
I can't work on Saturday. If it, if it costs me my job, so be it. It takes courage to stand up and do that. Many of God's people have had to do that. Does God always deliver them? Yes and no. Ultimately, God does. But yet, many people have lost jobs because they wouldn't work on the Sabbath. But yet, ultimately, if they look to God and have faith in Him, God will give them an even better job. He'll bless them even greater for having the courage to stand up for what's right. Speaking of of courage, Vince Lombardi was quoted to have said, Once a man has made a commitment to a way of life, he puts the greatest strength in the world behind him. It's something we call heart power. Once a man has made made this commitment, nothing will stop him short of success. You see, we made a commitment to a way of life. For those of us who are baptized and have God's Holy Spirit, we are committed to that way of life. And as he says here, once you've made that commitment, you put the greatest strength in the world behind you. Yes, we have the greatest strength in the world behind us. We have the power of God behind us. Do we really realize that? He says it's something we call heart power. Well, on a physical level, having that heart power as you go into a football game is an important thing. But for us, that heart power comes from the fact that God has given us a new heart, a heart of flesh through which He can work in our lives, through which He can strengthen us, through which He can guide us, and through which He can lead us. He's taken out that heart of stone that Satan placed there, and He's replaced it with a heart of flesh. That's the heart power that we have, but the power that's behind that heart, once again, is God as He works in us to do His will. And He says, once a man has made this commitment, nothing will stop him short of success. Nothing should stop us short of success. If we have the courage to keep moving forward, as our group slogged through the rain and the wind and everything else, the mud, We had to have courage to keep moving forward. We had to say, I'm going to do this. We can't stop. We've got to keep going. There's many courageous men in the Bible, and I don't have time to begin to go through all the different stories of those who had courage like Noah and David and Joshua and on and on the story goes. We look to the New Testament, to the Apostle Paul and the others. The things that they had to endure, the courage that they had to have to make it happen. They didn't give up. You think of the example of Paul at Lystra where they hated him and what he was saying so much that they stoned him. And it says they took him outside the city and, and threw him out of the city thinking he was dead. Was he dead? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. He might have been. He might not have been. But either way, God worked a miracle because it says that he rose up and walked into the next city. Even if he wasn't dead, how did he walk into the next city on his own power? He had courage. And he came right back to Lystra. He went right into the next city and began preaching the gospel. And then he circled right back around to Lystra, not that much longer later, and preached the gospel once again. 
That takes courage. Is that the courage that you have? Are you persevering to have that kind of courage? When you think about all these men of the Bible and what they went through, what is the one thing that they had to have to get through it all? They had to have courage and faith. And that's my fifth point here. Persevere in faith. I know the last couple of sermons my father has given here at headquarters have been on faith. He gave the one on increasing faith and the power of faith. And those are sermons that I'm sure all of you have heard. I wasn't here for the last one, so I'll have to get the tape of that one later when it comes out. But I know it's big on his mind right now that as a church we need to build faith. We need to have absolute faith and trust in God that He is working in our lives and that He will guide and lead us if we put our lives in His hands, if we surrender our life to Him, if we look to Him and seek His will in everything. What kind of faith do you have? Once again, as we think about this from the standpoint of perseverance and persevering, how do you persevere in faith? Do you have persistent faith? Is your faith persistent, just constant? Or is is there little times that you really don't have the faith you should have? Persistent means constant. Not just, well, I I have faith here, and I have faith here, but I'm not so sure about this over here. We have to be persistent in our faith, having faith in all things in God. Do you lose faith if things get really difficult? If you start having a really bad trial, do you begin to look for a way out of the trial to get yourself out of the trial? Or do you look to God in faith, asking God to show you how to get through the trial? What about patient faith? Patient faith. James chapter 1 and verse 2, we read earlier. Turn over there, just a couple pages over here. James chapter 1 and verse 2. Once again, we read, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You see, if we have patient faith, we're going to realize that God is using this trial to test our faith, to help us to build our faith. God isn't doing it to tear us down. God is doing it to build us up, to make us better, to make us stronger, to help us to look to Him more and more in our lives so that we can constantly, persistently put our faith in Him. We've got to have patience in it. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Verse 3. Yes. As God tests our faith, it helps us learn patience. Because as I said, the trials don't always just end right away. They can last for weeks, months, or even years. If you have a trial that lasts for years, are you going to lose faith in God and say, well, 
I don't have faith in God because he didn't do this. I've been praying for this for the last five years, and I still have whatever it is. I could say, well, I've been praying for the last almost seven years now, or six and a half years now, about my blood pressure. And I still have to deal with my high blood pressure. It's just a part of my life. God hasn't healed me. So I do I say, okay, God, you didn't heal my blood pressure. That's it. I give up. No. We've got to realize that God wants me to do my part. Perhaps the reason I have the blood pressure is because I brought it on myself. Through bad diet, lack of exercise, whatever the case may be. I don't know. I do know that they say that public speaking really raises your blood pressure. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know why they keep asking me to speak, but uh, I go home and calm down. But anyway, we've got to have faith in God, have patient faith, have cheerful faith. Cheerful. Cheerful? Once again, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How is it joyful? To have trials. Well, if you think about it, the reason you have these trials is because God loves you and because he wants you to be a part of his family and because he is using these trials to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your courage, to strengthen your patience, to prepare you to be his son. If you can't have, take joy in that and be cheerful in that, then you're in the wrong place. Be cheerful. Be joyful. Count it all joy when you fall into trials. Enduring faith in the face of obstacles. All kinds of trials and tests come upon God's people. And it isn't just today. It's been going on since the time of Christ. Going back way beyond that as well. You think about the Apostle Paul and everything that he went through. I don't have the time to read it. Just write it down. 1 Corinthians 11, 22 to 28. All of the trials that Paul went through, being beaten, being shipwrecked, spending a day and a night in the deep, being stoned, as I said, outside Lystra, possibly to death. Did he give up and say, okay, God, you know, it was all good. I'm, I was fine with the beatings. I was fine with the whippings. I was fine being thrown in prison. But being stoned to death is where I draw the line. I'm sorry. That's it. I'm done. He didn't do that, did he? He persevered in faith in spite of the obstacles. Another scripture you can write down is Hebrews 11, verses 35 to 40. The faith chapter, as we call it. Talking about all of the terrible things. Well, here, I'm just, it's just two pages back here where we are in James 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Is that what you seek? A better resurrection? Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings and, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. These are the people of faith 
that he's talking about in this chapter and the things that they went through. We've got to have faith as we face the times ahead of us that we know are coming. We've got to have faith and we've got to have endurance in faith as we face those obstacles, knowing that God is in charge, that our lives are in his hands, and that no matter what happens, we keep moving forward. We keep pushing forward, not giving up. Point number six is persevere to overcome. Persevere to overcome. Mr. Ames gave a sermon on April 3rd, 2007. We are well able to overcome. And my dad gave sermon number 853. We must overcome Satan. Number 853. Overcoming is a way of life. It's a daily thing that we have to do each and every day. As we think about overcoming, you say, well, what are the three S's of overcoming? Overcome what? Self, society, and Satan. Those are the big three that we've used as a church for many years. We understand that, but are we really persevering to do that? Persevering to overcome. Are we persistent in overcoming? Persistently, every waking moment of our lives, realizing we have got to overcome Satan. Satan is out there as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. He's got the rest of the world already fooled. They're all deceived already. His attentions are on us. He wants to get us. He doesn't need to sleep. He just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. A little demonic energizer bunny that doesn't quit, doesn't give up, just keeps coming. Are you patient in overcoming? Having patience. How do you do that? What does that mean? Overcoming is something we can't do on our own. As I said, we've got to have God's help. But we've got to, as I talked about earlier, wait on God. God doesn't always give us what we need immediately. We've got to wait on him to deliver us sometimes. As we go through tests and trials, we try to overcome those. But once again, if we try to do it on our own, we're not going to make it. We've got to realize that God does not always deliver us from trials. But he does deliver us out of them. See the difference? We're not delivered from them, but out of them. God allows these trials to come upon us, and he will deliver us out of them, but sometimes we have to patiently await for him to deliver us out so that we can overcome. Cheerfully overcome, once again, James chapter 2, count it all joy. I'm sorry, James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy. And then we have to endure through the difficult process of overcoming. It is a difficult process. Overcoming is not something that just comes naturally. We all have little areas of our life that we are working on. God is continually shaping and molding us. And some of us have areas that we really have to work on a little bit harder. We've got to overcome whatever it may be. It's not always a, a diff, it's not always an easy thing 
When you think about, let's say, physical things that you have to overcome, as people begin to come into the church, there's people that are having to overcome alcoholism or drugs or tobacco. And suddenly going cold turkey, as they call it with those things, can be extremely difficult and even painful. But there's many other things that we have to endure through. But no matter what the case is, even if it seems sometimes impossible, we have to remember one simple little thing. Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do anything through Christ. If we allow him to live his life in us, we can overcome whatever your personal trial may be that you are trying to overcome. You can do it. God isn't going to give us a trial that we can't handle. He's going to give us the help that we need. He'll provide a way of escape, he says, if, if it gets to that point that he realizes, okay, I've pushed him hard enough. Now I'm going to show him the way out. We've got to overcome ourselves, the world around us, and Satan, who has deceived the world, and that's the reason they are the way they are. Persevere to overcome. And point number seven is persevere in love. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 6 here. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Love comes from God. One who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. He is the embodiment of love, the definition of love. The reason that we exist today is because of his love. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need your help. But yet he wants to share with us the glory and the power and his kingdom. He wants us to be able to enjoy that. He wants to share that with us. And it's out of his love that he created us. And brought us into this world in the first place. I don't have time to go through the whole passage here. But going on down then into verse 11. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We have to love God first and foremost. But we have to love our fellow man as well. Because if we don't love our fellow man, we can't love God. You can't just say, it's just me and you, Lord. I love you, you love me, and that's all I need. We have to love our fellow man. And as we show that love toward our fellow man, we show our love toward God through that love toward our fellow man. And then in verse 16, he finishes up this passage saying, And we have known and believed that the love of, that the, 
believe the love that God has for for had that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God will live his life in us if we have love. If we are people of love. If we persevere in love. God's love for us was expressed in the fact that he gave his son to die for us. He gave his son to die. The man who created, the the God being who created us, who created the universe, came down and gave his love, his life for us out of love. And as we read in John 1 John 3:16 by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And Jesus commanded us to love one another as he loved us. How did he love us? By giving his life for us. No greater love has a man for his friend than to lay down his life. That has to be our attitude. That attitude of love that we would lay our life down for another is the ultimate expression of love that we can show toward another individual. As I said, I don't have time to go through and give a sermon on love, and that's not the point here today. But we've got to persevere in these things. Mr. Ames gave sermon number 510 entitled, Unconditional Love. Unconditional Love. Listen to that sermon at some point. Is this the kind of love that you have? unconditional love toward God and toward your fellow man? Or is your love conditional upon certain things? Well, I don't really love him because he said this or he did that. We've got to forgive our fellow man because if we don't forgive our fellow man for the trespasses against us, God is not going to forgive us for our trespasses against his law, is he? We've got to love God and our fellow man unconditionally. We've got to have persistent, patient, cheerful, and love that endures in the face of obstacles. Even when you have been wronged, you still have to love your fellow man. Jesus said, love your enemies. Not an easy thing to do, but a necessary thing to do that we have to know and understand as we move forward in life. You know, I said I had seven points today, but there's one extra point here. It says, note to Jim, persevere to end your sermon on time. (laughs) Now, if that isn't love, I don't know what is. So I'll try to do that. When we think about our lives and what we have to look forward to as we come to the end of this evil age, it's obvious that we're going to have to go through a lot. We're going to have trials and tests. We're going to face tribulations and sorrow and upset. But if we realize that God wants us to go through these things for our own good, then we will persevere to get through them. We'll persevere to move forward. We'll keep pushing ourselves day after day. I think the famous quote from Winston Churchill kind of sums up in a way what I'm talking about today. In his speech at his old high school, he said this, Surely, from this period of ten months, this is the lesson. 
Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to the conviction of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Does that sound familiar? The apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We stood alone all, all, a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. All this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, this part of the history of this country were gone and finished, liquidated. The world had written them off is what he's saying. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, had drawn a sponge across her slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching and no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to these, those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it, we now find ourselves in a position where I say that we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. Persevere to conquer. England did conquer. They did persevere. They went through some terrible times. Many people died, were injured. As we know, that war went on for many years. This was early on in the war, so to speak, but it went on for long after that. But in the end, they didn't give up. They kept going. They kept moving forward. Brethren, as you trudge across the Death Canyon shelves in your lives, you must never give in. You must never give up. Satan is going to put every obstacle in your way to try to get you to give up. And the unfortunate fact is that all too many have. Many of us in this room have many friends and family who've given up, who've turned away. We must not let that happen. The harder the rain falls, the colder the temperature gets, the muddier the trail gets. All work together to try to get you to look for an easy way out. But the easy way off of the Death Canyon shelf was a way that led to death off the edge of the canyon. That's not the way that we want to go because for us spiritually, that's eternal death. And we are looking for eternal life. That's why we must persevere to grow in godly character, persevere in hope, persevere in prayer, persevere in courage, persevere in faith, and persevere in love. As Churchill's quote said, we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. As my cold and weary group of hikers trudged along the Death Canyon shelf, we moved forward and finally hiked up out of that area of Death Canyon. As we did so, the wind began to lessen. The rain finally quit. The winds died down, and ultimately the sun came out. Never had you seen a bunch of people who so greatly appreciated a little bit of sunshine as they began to warm up and dry out. It was a good time. As we went over what is 
a pass that was 9,726 feet high. We came down the other side of it into a beautiful valley area as that sun began to shine on us and our lives, so to speak, perked out. And I thought it was interesting that our perseverance allowed us to conquer the obstacles that thwarted us along the way there that day. But I thought it was interesting that the name of the pass that we crossed over was called Meek Pass, M-E-E-K, Meek Pass. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If we persevere to conquer the obstacles that we face in life, we too will be well on our way to our ultimate conquest of being a part of God's family. So persevere to conquer.